Scripture reading today comes from Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you have ordered has been done, and there is still more room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. I mentioned uh, earlier that I really enjoyed sports camp. I found I was a little bit overprepared. I, it's been a few years since I've coached football, but when we coached, we had a very detailed schedule of how we were going to run everything during a practice. And so I came out and I had printed out my five-minute increments of our practice time. And uh, uh, Ryan Blizzard, he said, you, you have a, a schedule for everything? Well, yeah, that's, that's how I coach football. That's what we got to do. And uh, then he, he laughed even harder when I brought out uh, halfway through the week play cards with plays drawn up on it for, for the kids. We were running triple option. It was great. We run spread offense. I called Tampa 2, and kids had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was a great chance to connect with um, some really great kids. Fortunately, the schedule did keep us uh, moving and hopping from one event to the next, one drill to the next, uh, which was really helpful for some of our kids that uh, maybe other times and other uh, places struggle with keeping their attention on one thing. We were hopping from one thing to the next. Uh, it was really neat to uh, get to meet those kids. Uh, we had a conversation uh, the last night about drills. I don't know what other sports did. I think Jameson did basketball drills, different defensive drills. Uh, in football, we did a bunch of different drills, working on different skills and, and trying to um, improve maybe catching a ball or throwing a ball. Um, when I was flipping through the book, Missy gave me a book of different drills to run. I was shocked when I was flipping through the book and I came to an Oklahoma drill. I don't know how many of you have ever played football and know what an Oklahoma drill is, but it involves two guys laying on their back, blowing a whistle, and going at it. And I was trying to figure out how that looked for flag football. It worked, and no one got hurt, so it was great. 
Um, and in fact, that was one of the kids' favorite drills. But when we talked about drills, I asked them, what was your favorite drill? Your favorite thing to practice, to work at? And what was your least favorite drill? One of their least favorite drills involved running back and forth. That's usually running is our least favorite drill whenever we play a sport, it seems like. And I talked about, you know, those drills are to help you get better at a sport. It's not about getting better at the drill, it's becoming better at the sport. You know, in our Christian walk, we have these different things called spiritual disciplines. They're different ways of connecting with God. It might be prayer. It might be studying scripture. It might be meditating on scripture. It might be fasting. It might be all kinds of different disciplines that we can practice. It's not about the individual discipline. It is about connecting with God. It is about growing in our faith, in our understanding of who God is and how he's calling us to follow him more closely. So my encouragement for you is maybe to take up some of these drills, some of these disciplines, and, and think about how they can stretch and expand your faith and help you grow. That's not the sermon this morning, but it was a, a neat opportunity to connect with kids and explain why we do drills to help us get better at a sport. In, in the Christian faith, we have disciplines that help us grow. Before we jump into our sermon this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege, the invitation to be here this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God. Speak to us this morning through me or despite me. In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the summer, we're going to continue to look at a number of Jesus' parables. And part of the reason we're looking at parables, and we've been looking at gardening parables, and now we're going to move out of the garden but continue to look at parables, is in part because our annual conference theme is about living parables. And the idea of living parables is that you and I tell stories and live stories about what the kingdom of God looks like. Or we can live stories that help people see what the kingdom of God looks like. And so we're going to continue to look at some parables. But I wonder why Jesus tells so many different stories. Is that just he likes um, sermon illustrations and so he wants to throw in some sermon illustrations to highlight some of the other main points that he's made? Bible scholar, uh, New Testament scholar, Scott McKnight, writes this about parables. He says, parables sometimes get a bum rap. For too many and for too long, Christians have read the parables as illustrations of propositions found more clearly in other texts. So it is argued, Jesus gives a parable about the pearl of great price, a parable that seemingly tells his followers to give it all up for the value of that pearl. The story, so it is understood, is almost cute and surely it is clever, but if you want the real stuff, go to Luke 
9, 57 to 62, where Jesus tells people point blank to follow him regardless of the cost. In other words, parables are just stories, just illustrations. The real stuff can be found in more didactic passages. He goes on to write, not so, not so. And this approach to parables is a serious blunder. Jesus told parable after parable, and the parables are not just illustrations. Parables are fictional stories depicting an alternative world. The essence of his parables probe into the mindset he wants from his followers. Imagine a world like this. And so this summer, we're going to look at some of these parables and look at what do they call us to imagine. Imagine a world in which we actually lived this way. Imagine a world in which Christ's church actually did these things. Some of Jesus' parables are the teachings that get him in the most trouble. They tick people off. Some people stop following him after he tells a certain parable. They aren't just illustrations. They are at the heart of Jesus' teaching. So we come to this parable of the banquet this morning. Here's the setting for our story. Jesus has come to the home of a leader of the Pharisees. Pharisees were those religious elite that, that found their value in keeping themselves pure, in following those codes and following those laws and adding laws to the laws and, and just making things up so that they could be holy. And other people that didn't follow those codes, they just weren't as holy. They just weren't as Jewish as the Pharisees. So Jesus is invited to the home of a leader of the Pharisees. And before dinner, before anything happens, before the banquet even gets started, Jesus screws up. And he heals somebody on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. He does work on the Sabbath. And he's in the Pharisees' bad corner right from the start. But Jesus continues. Now he sees where everybody goes to sit at this banquet. And everybody's trying to get the prime seats. In the ancient world, they were very, much more, they were much clearer on um, having status and receiving honor. And you received honor by where you sat at the banquet. If you sat closer to the host, you had more honor. You were more respected. But if you sat at the foot of the table, well, they're just the people that I had to invite to the banquet. Jesus comes in and says, why are y'all trying to get yourself honor? Why are y'all trying to find the prime seats? Instead, you should be trying to sit at the foot of the table. And then maybe the host will come and say, friend, why are you sitting down here? Come sit closer to me. And so he critiques all the other guests. And all the other guests are, all right, getting maybe a little bit even more ticked off with Jesus. He's healed on the Sabbath. He's critiqued the other guests. And now Jesus has a critique of his host, See, this Pharisee has probably invited other 
honorable people, other people who have kept the codes, who have lived out the laws, and everyone's going to see who's coming to his party, and they're going to think, I want to be like him. He's an important person. He's a righteous person. He's a holy person. Look at all of his great guests that he has. Jesus says, if you want to throw a party, invite the people that have nothing to offer you. Invite the people that can't reciprocate. See, when you went to a, a banquet in the ancient world, it was expected that you would receive something back. So if this Pharisee has invited all these important people, he's expecting that at some point he's going to be invited back to their party. He's going to be repaid in some way. This is one of the, the awesome things about the uh, first miracle that Jesus does in the, in the book of John. What's the first miracle Jesus does in John? Water into wine. He turns water into wine. The miracle is not just that Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus is at a banquet, at a wedding celebration, long enough for them to run out of wine. Running out of wine in an ancient wedding was a tragedy. Because when you invited guests, they would bring gifts. And they expected to receive back the value of those gifts in food and drink. And so this couple has run out of wine and they face bankruptcy because they're not able to reciprocate these gifts. And so Jesus continues the party. He saves this new couple from poverty. So Jesus says to the Pharisee, invite those Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. They can't reciprocate. The Pharisees are all about purity laws. They have no space for those kind of people. They aren't the kind the Pharisee wants to hang around. They're not pure. They're certainly not going to bring him any honor. And Jesus says, that's exactly the people that you should have invited to this party. So Jesus has healed on the Sabbath, broken the Sabbath law. He's critiqued the other guests. And now he's criticized his host. And you can start to sense how tense the scene is. And so the beginning of our passage that Troy read this morning, you sense the tension and someone pipes up, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I think he's just, I, I don't know whether he believes this or not, how great of a statement this is from him or not. I think he's just trying to break the tension. I think he's just saying, trying to say something, anything that everyone can agree about and we can just move on, forget that Jesus has just made everybody mad. And yet, Jesus doesn't even bother with the statement. He just continues into this story. He says, someone gave a great dinner and many were invited. Save the date cards were sent out probably with cute pictures professionally done with the right Instagram filter on them. 
Formal invitations followed, giving details of the party. RSVPs were received. Guests committed to coming to the dinner. And then the lame excuses start coming in. One guy has to go check out a piece of land that he's bought. He has to go check it out after he's bought it. Now, there's a possibility in, in ancient uh, Judea that there was some requirement of landowners to go and evaluate property again after they had purchased it. It seems like a pretty lame excuse to me. He's going to check out property after he's bought it, after he's committed to coming to the banquet. Another guy just bought a massive amount of farming equipment, five yokes of oxen, five yokes of oxen. Don't miss that. In, in, in their world, they, this guy just spent a lot of money buying oxen. Not just one yoke of oxen would have been sufficient for an average field. This guy just bought five yoke of oxen. He is very wealthy, well-to-do. The dude's got some money, and he's got to go play with his new John Ox tractor. One guy, the next guy, he blames getting married. And I'm not sure what he's trying to do here. If he's trying to be romantic and say, hey, I just got married, I've got other things that I need to do, wink, wink. Or if he's saying, look, I'd come, but now I'm married, and my wife, she just won't let me get out of the house, and so I can't come to your party. Maybe it's a halfway legitimate concern, Maybe it's a halfway legitimate excuse, but Jesus doesn't justify it. To Jesus, these are all bad, lame excuses. These are people who have gotten their priorities messed up. They're valuing their property and their wealth and even relationships above coming to this banquet. And this just isn't just any banquet. Most scholars agree that what Jesus has in mind is a final, glorious, heavenly banquet hosted by God and Jesus. And the ones that have been invited are too busy. Their priorities are elsewhere, and they miss out on this banquet. And so the master in this story gets ticked. But he's not going to postpone the party. It's party time now. And so Jesus says, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town. He invites the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Everyone that Jesus has just criticized the Pharisee for not inviting to this party. The people that Jesus says you should have invited that aren't here, these are the people I want at my party. And even after they come in, after they've gone into the town and brought in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame from inside the town, there's still more room. So the master says, go out to the roads in the lanes outside the city. And now we've got vagabonds and ragamuffins and refugees and outsiders coming to the party. 
I would love to have seen the Pharisee's face as this story is told. Love to see the faces of the wedding guests as this story is told. But as Scott McKnight puts it, Jesus' followers are called to imagine a world like this. And so what kind of world is being imagined? And there's two sides to what's being imagined here. The first is imagine a world where people are missing the party because they're too wrapped up in their own stuff. Imagine a world where those that think they've got it together are actually missing the point. All the wealthy, all the important, proper people end up missing out on the party. The party that God and Jesus are hosting. Jesus has critiqued the other party guests and the host, and now he seems to be warning them about not missing out on the banquet. Don't you become like these people with lame excuses, too wrapped up in these other priorities, too wrapped up in their own possessions, their own wealth. Don't miss out. You know, it's easy for us to get our priorities messed up, especially today. We get caught up doing so many things. We get caught up in chasing so many other things, possessions, jobs, all kinds of activities. We run the rat race that our culture demands that we run, and we just do it. And I'm, I'm just as bad. In fact, maybe worse because I can justify chasing my career or job and say, it's for God. I can neglect my family as quickly as anyone can because I can blame it on the church. I can get caught running to all kinds of commitments. I can get caught running my kids all over the place. I want them to have great experiences, to be able to enjoy sports, to enjoy musicals, to enjoy band, and enjoy those things that Katie and I got to participate in, but at what cost? Those things are are good and, and valuable experiences until they Keep us from the banquet. Keeping us from the party. Even in the church world, we can allow our our methods to look like the world around us. And we we can become too busy, too focused on other priorities that keep us from the party that Jesus is throwing. Don't miss out on the party Be careful that you're not too preoccupied. Be careful you don't get caught up in your own plans, in your own goodness, in your own holiness, in your own righteousness, that you miss the party. But the other world that we imagine is one where outcasts, not good enoughs, poor, crippled misfits are invited in See, Jesus' party, this party that that he's talking about, goes from black tie event with the wealthy, 
with the important people, with the proper people, with the right people, and it gets turned into a blue-collar block party real quick as Jesus invites everyone in. The host isn't looking to get paid back. He's throwing a party full of grace. It's nothing that the crippled, the poor, the lame, the beggars have earned. It's not about the host receiving any kind of honor back. He knows full well that they can't afford to pay him back. They have nothing to offer him. And yet he welcomes them in this party of grace and love. It's a beautiful picture. That everyone is welcome at the table. Everyone is welcome at Jesus' party. It's not about earning the right to be invited. The beggars, the addicts, the minorities, maybe some (laughs) refugees are brought into the party. Those that hadn't been invited to the party that Jesus is sitting at telling this story at, those are the people Jesus is talking about, welcoming to his party. Church, I want you to hear this this morning. Don't miss out on the real party. We need to practice up for that final banquet. John said, you know what? There's going to be some people at that party that we have disagreements with. People that wronged us and that we wronged. We need to practice up for that final banquet. We need to throw Jesus parties and welcome in the guests that Jesus invited. I want you to imagine a world. Imagine a world where people seek first the kingdom of God. And that kingdom takes precedence over everything else over checking out your property, checking out your your five yokes of oxen, even taking priority over close relationships. Seek first the kingdom of God. Imagine a world where everyone is welcome to the table, where we come in our brokenness, in our lameness, in our blindness, and we are transformed by Jesus, not because we've earned the right to be there, but because Jesus is throwing a party of grace. Imagine a world where we build bigger tables instead of building walls because the church is a multinational organization. It has no borders. And you know, we often put up walls to separate ourselves from those people. Those are the people Jesus is inviting to the party. This is what the church is supposed to be about. A place that says, what if we tried that now? What if we lived that way now? What if we hosted parties like Jesus' banquet now? This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the church is supposed to be about. What if we went into the streets to meet the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the addicted, the depressed, those that don't look like us. I have a few questions for you to think about, to ponder throughout the week. If Jesus were to host a party in Hershey, 
who would be invited? And don't just give me blind, lame, what Jesus answered. Picture in your mind those individuals or those groups of people you know in this area that Jesus would go specifically to them and he'd be inviting them to the party. Another question for you to think about. If you got an invite, if you got an invitation to Jesus' party, would you be there? Of course, I want to answer yes, I'd be there. But you know, honestly, I'd have to check my calendar. I'd have to open up my, my Google calendar and make sure that I don't have anything else planned first. I'd have to make sure that it fit. Would you be at the party? Would you be able to come? Would you be able to check yes, no, or maybe? Which we all know, if, if you're, you ever register for an event, especially on Facebook, so maybe talking to some people that are familiar with Facebook, we all know that if you check maybe, you really, you really mean, well, first I want to see who else is coming, or I'm giving you a polite no. Would you be at Jesus' party? We're going to close this morning by singing the hymn, uh, Lord, whose love in humble service. It's in your blue hymnals, number 369. Would you stand as we close in worship? Amen.